0: Pokia Leve's eyes were red and his cheeks stung as he wiped a tear with the sleeve of his old jean jacket while he assessed the few sentimental items he had yet to pack into his car. They had cut the heat off to the dormitory employee housing of the Summit Hotel earlier that morning. Just after that, they told the entire staff of the tour department that due to COVID-19 Safer at Home initiatives, employees were all being let go. It was also suggested by management that the group of mostly J-1 visa employees that came into work summers from all over the world may want to secure legal representation. Toki knew that this was just a scare tactic to keep the mostly young, now ex-employees quiet. It was a tactic Toki had seen Xavier Stanton, heir of the Summit Hotel, use previously with others that were fired suddenly. Toki always thought that because of the special relationship that he and Xavier had, that he would never find himself on the receiving end of that particular tactic. Sadly, he now realized that he believed so many things about Xavier and himself that were wrong. It hadn't taken long for the cold of the high mountains of Colorado to creep into the building. Toki could see his breath as he packed the last of his belongings into his green army surplus duffel bag. The last two of his possessions sat on an old office desk shared by the others in his bunk room. A framed picture of Xavier and himself in a black convertible, taken last summer when he first met and fell in love with the man he thought that destiny had brought to him after leaving his previous life and family behind in Chechnya. He had been a victim of the prophylactic sweep of the LGBT plus community. Toki still had no idea if the secret police had rounded up his family after fleeing the country. The second item was a pink scarf wrapped around the framed picture. The scarf had been a gift from Xavier. Toki wrapped the scarf around his neck, figuring he would need its warmth tonight, having nowhere else to sleep but in his car. With a heavy exhale, he grabbed the picture frame and slammed the door as he walked into the street light orange glow of the wintry night. His beat-up old Subaru station wagon already had a dusting of the snow that had begun to fall. Before opening the door to his car, he flung the picture with a heartbroken sob. It flew like a frisbee and crashed into a pine tree on the edge of the parking lot, with the sound of broken glass falling down the hill into the trees. Jokey drove over to Devil's Gulch Road behind the Summit Hotel and turned off onto an old dirt access road just before the Lumpy Ridge Trailhead. He knew this road wound up and away from any houses because it was a place that Xavier had taken him to last summer. The place where Zave, as he affectionately called his secret lover, had first kissed him, where Zave had taken a picture of them. The photo captured the moment when Toki had felt the most hope he had ever in life. It was there, at that exact spot, that Toki pulled over and laid out a sleeping bag on the folded down back seats of his car and tried his best to put aside all of his fears. The fear of once again being completely alone and on his own the fear of being in a strange new land, with no one that truly knew him, the fear of having no one left who cared. He took two pink allergy pills to help him sleep and eventually drifted off in the cold and dark of his car. Toki awoke to a loud crash and blinding light. Glass rained down onto his face as he felt a crush of pressure on his nose and mouth, with a sharp acrid inhale that pulled him into a black tunnel of unconsciousness. Toki slowly lifted out of the dark, warm embrace of nothingness to Candle's dim yellow dancing light. He tried his best to look around, but was restrained. He could see his arms had been bound to a wooden structure, like a makeshift crucifix. His head swooned, his stomach retched and heaved. Once the retching subsided and he could catch a breath, he began to hear chanting in a language he didn't understand. His gaze fell across the stone floor, which seemed to have a circular symbol that looked carved into the rough hewn stone floor in the dim candlelight. Across from him, he could see a tall figure standing, arms upraised, chanting, and wearing a black hooded robe. The chanting grew louder, and he shook his head, trying to wake himself from what must be a nightmare. Toki came to the terrifying realization that he could not wake himself up, because this was not a dream. He began screaming in terror. The chanting came to a crescendo at a volume that matched Toki's screaming and then suddenly stopped. Toki, shocked out of his terror, also fell silent, and took a breath. In the moment of silence, the figure put his hand into the folds of his robe and then emerged with a long black dagger. The figure jumped forward with startling speed. The knife thrust onto Toki's chest, releasing the feel of hot liquid as it moved in patterns, slicing into his flesh. Toki struggled, screaming with all of the adrenaline-soaked strength of his survival instinct. But the bindings held tight. The cutting continued for what seemed like an eternity. Eventually, the whole of his body was covered with marks. The assailant worked with determined purpose and was impervious to Toki's beggings and pleading not once speaking a word to Toki, nor even looking him in the eye. After the symbols were complete, the knife moved to Toki's throat. With a sudden sensation of pressure, a torrent of spurting warmth was released that washed down the entire front of his body. In pulses, his world fell back into the black of nothing. Chapter 1 Chance Van Horn rode his skateboard down the hill on the bike path at the south side of Lake Estes at completely inappropriate speeds for early May. While it was cold with gray skies, the snow from the previous week had melted off the bike path trail. Chance was wearing his well-worn, dingy-looking white leather jacket, and his black, silver, and purple mohawk danced in the wind. The cold on the sides of his head was sharp, but chance didn't want to let the hair grow out to cover his intricate mandala tattoos that snaked down the sides of his head and neck. The newest addition to his wardrobe, a red bandana that he wore like a cowboy outlaw, was required due to the pandemic. The sounds of the Ramones, I want to be sedated, in his wireless earbuds had just come to an end as his phone rang with a call from Jack Roman. His boss at the local newspaper the Sidewinder Gazette. Chance jumped off his skateboard and immediately regretted it as his 48-year-old knees screamed at him that he was entirely too old to still be skateboarding as he had as a teenager. He jogged to a stop to answer the call. Out of breath, hey Jack, what's shaking? Aspen, Chance, fucking Aspen. Huh? Chance, I've got an investigative piece for you. It may be a big one. But I need you to get your ass over to Aspen now. Okay. That's not quite local for us. But what do you have? The body of a young man was found off the side of the highway coming down from Independence Pass on the back way into Aspen, right near a place called the Devil's Punch Bowl. It turns out this was the same kid that went missing the day after the summit fired their entire staff a few weeks ago when the state locked down for COVID. He was one of the J-1 visa employees from out of country that worked there. Most of those kids had nowhere to go and became homeless overnight. They found his car a few days later with a back window smashed out and the door left open, abandoned on the side of the road just off Devil's Gulch. Oh shit. How the hell did he wind up in Aspen, Chance asked. Yeah, and that's not all of it. I received a tip he was found naked and mutilated with a pink scarf gagging him. But that's why I need you to get your ass over there and see what you can find out. I would head the back way into town and stop where they found the body. See if you can get on scene and see anything. Maybe talk a cop into giving up a few details. You know, work that magic of yours and confirm my source's story. Hey, I also need you to go and interview the source. But I have to warn you. The word is the guy is a raging drunk and drug fiend. He's the kid of some big-time writer from back in the day that lived up there. You got two nights at a B&B. Save your receipts. And by the way, drinking at the bar is not a reimbursable expense. Don't even try it this time. Aw, Jack, you never let me have any fun. Yeah, I can head out today. Just shoot me a text with the info and contacts you have in the area. You got it. We need to run silently on this one, Chance, till we have all the facts. Got it? Yeah, I'll go and get packed up now. Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker, book one of the Colorado's Chance series. First edition, copyright 2021. All rights reserved by Jason Van Tietenhove. This is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents are either the work of the author's imagination or or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, business, companies, events, or locales is entirely coincidental. A special thanks to all my family, but especially Shiloh Van Tatenhove, my wife. I know we have been through hell and back, but here we are, still holding hands as we continue down the path less taken together with all our family around us. Undead, is better than just plain dead. To my daughters, Lux, Winter, and Sierra, you are my light, my hope, and my inspiration. I love all of our adventures in life together, even the ones I take in my head with these stories. And not to forget my granddaughter, Annabelle, you shine so brightly. Keep coming up with your own stories. Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker by Jason Van Tatenov, read by Jason Van Tatenov. Introduction. I began writing this book during the quarantine lockdowns of 2020. As the COVID-19 virus raged around the globe, I was in a very traumatic period of my life. My wife of 25 years and I had separated a year and a half earlier. I was raising my two daughters on my own for the first time in my life. You'll be happy to know we are all back together, having resolved the family issues that we needed to. I had just lost a tattoo shop I had opened a year earlier due to a wrong choice of business partners. and was losing hope and becoming severely depressed. I'd begun to write again, this time for the local newspaper here in Estes Park, Colorado, where my family and I call home. But I found that I could not write about specific events happening in town, due to a conflict of interest with advertising dollars. So I decided to fictionalize some events that happened to the J-1 visa workers that the town of Estes Park relies so heavily on for our local economy so that we as a community could begin to have some challenging discussions about how these workers have been treated historically and find ways to protect their rights. I also took the events of that year as the universe's way of kicking me in my ass to tell me that I wasn't getting any younger. And now was the time to begin working on some of my endgame life goals, which has a start with writing the novels I had been planning to for decades. So I began writing a story about an aging punk rock journalist who lives in a supernatural world that looks very much like our own. This was easy as Estes Park is a town rich with supernatural myths and lore. Indeed, it was a town where Stephen King had his inspiration for his horror classic The Shining. I felt like we as a culture needed to add to the area's folklore, and so I began writing. Yes, Chance the main character is based, in part, on me, and Summer and Winter are based, in part, on my now- teenage daughters, Lux, and Winter, Even the wolf dog, Nix, is based on our family pet of the same name. Many of the characters in this series are inspired by friends and people I know, but an inspiration alone. And many of the events are based on things that happened here in Esses Park during the time of the story, including the COVID lockdowns, and wildfires, and evacuations of 2020. For those who share the tradition of visiting Esses Park, and we have millions of visitors to the town every year, many of the locations in this book will look very familiar. Writing this book has helped to usher in a new era in my family and I's lives. I hope this book is as enjoyable to read and listen to as it was for me to write. If you would like to follow my actual real-life writing, future fiction, journalism, including short stories that are part of the Colorado Chances series, Journalism and now narrative nonfiction. Check out my online outlet. It's a substack called The Colorado Switchblade. You should be able to just search for The Colorado Switchblade and find it very quickly.